1: Gabe Muller is the Chief Operating Officer of Glassman Wealth Services, which is the boutique wealth management firm located in Vienna, Virginia. Gabe leads and manages firm-wide business operations with support of the president to create and sustain the intended level of client and team member experience driven uh, and driving organizational success. Gabe has helped to find and build the culture of Glassman Wealth, and has an, it's an intense focus on firm development, which has earned Glassman Wealth the trifecta of best places to work in the Washington, D.C. area from Washington, Washingtonian Inc. Now, that's a tough one to say, Washingtonian Inc. And Washington Business Journal, um, he's also been chosen from hundreds of applicants and the top 25 small company best places to work honorees. Glassman Wealth Services believes that living their core values every day is at the heart of all that they do. And by fostering an environment of passion, curiosity, and intrinsic desire to grow, learn, and lead every day, employees thrive in their roles. They believe that their culture has allowed them to, in a very short time, um, grow very rapidly, and they're now managing over a billion dollars in assets. I'm also proud to say that Gabe is a COO Alliance member. So Gabe, welcome. Welcome. Yeah, I'm looking forward to this, um, and just so that everybody is aware as well, we're actually re-recording this. We did a, uh, an interview with you about six weeks ago, and, um, and then you came to one of the COO Alliance national events, and you did a 10-minute talk at the event, and we were kind of blown away with some of the content that you delivered there, so we asked if we could re-record this and get some of that content to share as well. So um, before we dive into that, though, I want you to just to give us a little bit of background of, of yourself where you got your skills over the years to become a second in command and then also tell us a little bit about you know Glossman Well services and um, some of the culture that you're known for
0: sure yeah well uh, again thanks for having me um so i went to ball state which is in indiana and uh I, I graduated with an accounting degree and as i um graduated from from college i realized that i wasn't sure if i really wanted to be an accountant and so uh I decided to start looking within the financial planning industry, uh, perhaps, you know, uh, fee-only financial planning, um, just to kind of get an entry-level position into how that business operated. Um, I was fascinated by how, you know, you you could be a small business and how you could start developing teams. Well, I was able to uh, come across a firm down in Florida, Fort Myers, Florida, and uh, entry-level position and started my career there. And basically learned this type of business inside now um, for about three years and then at that three-year mark uh, I decided to uh, kind of expand my horizons and look elsewhere and uh, as a matter of fact I went on to Craigslist of all places and found a blind ad on Craigslist to join what what is now Glass & Wealth at the time I didn't know who it was and so uh, after a phone call Uh, And uh, actually, a few phone calls with Barry and a few others here, Um, they flew me to Glassman Wealth um, here in the Washington, D.C. area, um, Tyson's Corner, Virginia, as a matter of fact, and had an entire day interview. And I went back... Back to uh, I went back home that evening, and on the flight uh, home I received an offer from Barry. And so, at that point in time, <clears throat> I pretty much made my mind up pretty quickly that yep, I'm going to go ahead and uh, go out on a limb and take this risk. And from all indications, I loved what I heard and how we were um, how we interacted during that day. And here we are about eight years later. Um, wow. And so, yeah, it was a really uh, quick turnaround. I think I moved from Fort Myers, Florida. Um, to Virginia within about seven days of accepting the offer, so I didn't look back, um, and I haven't ever since. And that, to me, um, is just one of those risks that I took, and and here we are. So um, it's been a it's been a really fun ride thus far. And um, like you said at the beginning, going from you know 2011, I think we were around 220 20, 280 million somewhere in there to today, just at about 1.3 billion assets under management. It's been a fun ride.
1: Massive, massive ride. So, in, and by the way, everyone in Virginia, kind of in the, the baby boomer demographic is trying to move to Fort Myers and you turned around and went back. So
0: um, <laughs> that is right. That is right. I, I, It was one of those things that everyone says that. And I said, you know, I was kind of tired of that, uh, that hot weather down there and I wanted some activity up in the DC area. All right. So you did that. Now, what was it about a blind dad on
1: Craigslist that attracted you? I mean, there had to have been something in that that ad that you saw, what was there?
0: Well, frankly, it was just the description of what they uh, were looking for as far as the skill set. It it basically described exactly what I was doing to the T, even down to the software programs within the financial planning industry to, uh, you know, the CRMs that we have, things like that. Literally, it was identical to what I was doing. It was just in a different location. And it happened to be where I wanted to go. Um, Before I left Fort Myers, I actually had uh, come up with a plan to uh, present to my CEO at that time to, hey, let's uh, see if we can open up a satellite office up in the DC area. And as a matter of fact, what I wrote out was exactly what I've started doing at this point. And it's just, it's ironic to see how it worked. But I'm a big believer in, you know, putting on paper what it is you believe in, and then seeing how you could create goals to achieve that.
1: You guys ever going to open a satellite in Fort Myers?
0: <laughs> <laughs> I don't think so. I don't <laughs> think so. <laughs> so. So tell me
1: about the, um, the, the, the interview process and, and what you saw in the posting. Did you come on as the second in command right away, or did you come in as a, a more you know, junior role or entry-level role?
0: Yeah, I'm glad you asked that. Uh, I came in um, to Glassman in 2011 uh, in the client service role. Uh, Again, doing what I was doing down in uh, Fort Myers, um, working with clients, working with advisors um, in that client service role. So I was in meetings with clients uh, here and there, um, but most of my job was to make sure that the the advisors' lives were uh, easier as a result of what I was doing for them. So. So I kind of learned from, you know, the Glassman side of things, how they were operating and just figured out ways to add value and to uh, learn the client base and, and work with the team. Um, when I started, I think we had four other people. So I think I was the fifth person and um, as my role developed, I really enjoyed taking on different tasks and trying to come up with solutions um, and leading different efforts, um, whether it was, hey, we need to look at this new software program or, hey, uh, have we ever thought about doing something this way? I basically just kind of dove in and just really started to you know, apply myself in different areas, and as that continued to happen... I think that's when my CEO, Barry, um, decided to start looking at me as, as more of a leadership role and how could we transition into more of a COO-level uh, role, if you will.
1: Now, when did you move then from the customer service role, or not customer service, but customer-facing role into the COO role? When did that happen?
0: Uh, let's see. So I've been a COO now for about four and a half years. So it's been, it was about four years into my role here. Okay. Um, and the interesting part about that is, going back to my sort of the previous point as part of putting this on paper, we were going through a lot of internal discussions, had a lot of consultants working, not a lot, we had a few consultants working with us um, as far as how do we develop our team? How do we develop the structure of the firm? How do we develop um, career paths, things like that? Mm. And so what I did was took that as an opportunity and said, look, I know what I'm doing now, but I think this is what we might need. Um, we we need a COO, and so I worked with some of our consultants, and I came up with a a uh, role description for the COO of this type of firm. And it took me a while, and it took me you know uh, weeks, probably months, as a matter of fact, to come up with the, the solid plan, one pager. Um, hey, here's what we need, and here's why. And then we presented that to Barry, and I said basically this is what we need and here's why I believe that. Um, what do you think? Um, and in my mind, I was hoping that, great, this would be an opportunity to move into. And what I said was, you know, hopefully it is me, but if it's not, this is what you need. And so that's how I was able to um, work my way up into a COO role, um, really putting a lot of thought behind what it is we needed for a firm.
1: That's really awesome. And I love the fact that you actually did it saying, I hope it's me, but you didn't describe it completely as you. So you weren't pushing him into that space, but maybe nudging. So how did the, right. how did the onboarding, I guess, it's different from bringing an outsider in, but how did you transition? What were some of the steps or, or things that maybe happened to help you transition from the uh, client facing role to the COO role then in the first maybe six months?
0: Yeah, that was a, that was actually a a challenging time for me. Um, Not to say that there hasn't been others since then, but that was, it really sticks out in my mind that at one point in time, you know, you're doing this role as a client service position. And then, you know, basically overnight, oh, now you have a different title, which to me, I'm not really concerned about the title so much as the responsibility that comes with it. And so it was sort of one of those things where I was really leaning into and tapping into the the consultants that I had around me, and help having them help me. You know, whether it was how do we design messages, how do we um, articulate what it is we need to have done, how do we work with people of different personalities, how do we do all of that? I was really using my consultants to kind of leverage their expertise to learn that. Shortly after that, um, I was able to I was uh, able to join the Charles Schwab Executive Leadership Program. Um, And that was something where Barry and I had discussed this for a while. And he said, look, this would be a great opportunity. And I thought so as well. But it was a year-long program with professors from uh, the Ross School of Business, um, MIT, and a few others. But basically, um, for an entire year, I was with a cohort of about 30 different people around the country um, in similar roles some of which were CEOs. And uh, we learned about positive management, uh, I'm sorry, positive leadership, talent management, innovation, uh, entrepreneurship, and marketing. And it was five courses split up over that entire year. And so that was really, um, I think, sort of the foundation as to you know moving into the CEO role because it covered so many different areas.
1: Yeah, I'll bet you that was huge for you. It's interesting that um, you guys definitely believe in leadership development and growing your people. I mean, Barry and I met at one of the four masterminds that I'm a member of. Um, I, I invest about 90000 a year in myself attending mastermind groups. And then uh, you and I, I guess, well, Barry put you into the COO Alliance a year ago and he's he's investing pretty heavily in you. I mean, it's not a cheap program when you add up the national, uh, the fees and the travel and hotels and stuff. Investing in you now for your second year with that. So what is it about the leadership development that you guys believe in? And and do you carry that across the rest of the team as well?
0: Absolutely. I think that number one, um, to your point, as far as Barry putting in, you know, a massive uh, amount of investment into me and the leadership uh, development, something that I'm absolutely grateful for and forever will be. I mean, it's something where it doesn't only apply, I think, within business, but it implies in your entire life. And so, you know, it's just so cool that I answered that Craigslist (laughs) at, you know, back in 11. But, um, as far as having that type of mindset across the firm, it really does, um, permeate throughout the firm. I mean, we really encourage everyone to be as curious as possible and that goes to basically everything we do. Um, whether it's someone going to a conference just to learn something more about a particular area of the business or whether that's, uh, you know, joining a club in the area so that they can start connecting and creating you know, connections or networks within what they do. Um, or even down to the client situations where you know, there's this particular situation that's happening. How can we make this better? Or what can we do? What are the options that we have that we perhaps haven't explored yet? And so it's this whole what if, why not mindset And honestly, it really just everyone on the, on the team, um, has that quality about them. And that really does start with finding the right people during the interview process.
1: That's, that's really cool. So tell me, tell us about the interview process. Tell us how you, um, you know, what you look for, how your process works.
0: So, you know, it depends on the role, but, uh, for us, um, we, we always say that, you know, we're always looking for the next upgrade. Uh, We're looking, we're always looking for the next upgrade. So um, if we're looking for an advisor, you know, we're looking in our networks, we're looking in the groups that we're a part of, but then it's also, it's just not about what it is they, you know, what their GPA is or, you know, what the, their degrees are. It's really determining what they're passionate about and how they like to create impact. And so for us, it's one, finding the right type of person and then putting them through a process Um, And a standardized process so that each person that we interview, we're getting the similar type of information so that we can make a decision, you know, apples to apples as far as what it is this person could offer and what we could offer them. Mm. And so I think it really depends on, you know, the person's mindset and behavior. And we have a whole slew of questions that we like to go through uh, during the interview process to make sure that we're really uh, honing in well, what it is that we want to learn about that person, exactly. we also use things like colby um, we don 't use it uh, as far as um, you know, finding something on that Colby and you know, excluding them it 's more of something that says, "Hey, this is how this person uh, behaves and interacts and problem solves let 's learn more about that. So it's a, it's more of a conversation driver than it is a exclusive, you know, uh, excluding someone because of that or including them either way. Um, But I'm a big fan of, you know, mindset and behavior questions because it really, really gets to the core of who that person is. Um, And one last thing on that, I think uh, this is something that I learned from Barry, but one of our favorite questions to ask of somebody during the interview process is what's your favorite app and who have you told about it? And there's a lot of things I think that you can learn by that simple question, yeah, but one, it's sort of, you know, <laughs> Hey, if they, if they have a favorite app, well, they were curious, enough curious enough to find it. And then two, who did they tell about it? That's so that you understand if they like to create value for other people. While they're telling you that story, you can learn how they are able to articulate a story. So mm. I think there's a lot within that simple question that you can learn about somebody.
1: That's a huge skill, by the way. Do you, do you train your employees on interviewing? Because what you just touched on, I think 95% of companies miss completely, which is the answer to the question isn't really the guts of the whole interview anyway. It's really how they're responding, how they look when they're responding, how they think through their response, um, some of the answers behind their responses and the probing on their responses. Do you tend to train your employees on those types of interview skills?
0: That's a great question. You know, uh, over the past two or three hires, I would say that um, we have done a much better job of sitting down, briefing that conversation prior to that person arriving, obviously. And you know, me going through, hey, this is what, you know, uh, so-and-so in our office is going to try to uh, uncover and, and go deeper into. Here's some areas where someone else can go into so that we're not having overlap. But at the same time, when we ask that type of question, we're not looking for the specific answer. We're looking for all of that. That is something that we're working on. Um, I will tell you that based on three years ago to now, there's a, there's a drastic difference, I believe. Um, And it's produced some phenomenal hires just recently. The past two have just, I mean, uh, in our office have just been phenomenal. And so we went through that interview process in a very methodical, uh, you know, and and thoughtful way so that we weren't rushing anything.
1: Yeah. So you guys are definitely thinking through the whole front end of the process. But the the part that I was really blown away with, and I think the rest of the members of the COO Alliance were blown away with at our uh, June event was how you onboard the clients. And you do some pretty creative things in terms of the onboarding that I think really ties into your culture. Can you explain those to us and kind of walk them through slowly?
0: Yeah, so with uh, with our employee experience, I believe that it's directly correlated, I'm sorry, our our client experience is directly correlated with that of our employee experience. And so, you know, we can't expect for our employees to deliver a phenomenal client experience if we can't do the same for them. And so what we've started doing is uh, with clients is that we really set the stage from our very first uh, you know, interaction as far as what the expectations can be. Anywhere from how your prospect meeting might go to the follow-up that you're going to get to the video that you might get in between interactions. Um, And so that type of mindset, we tried to apply back to the employee experience as well.
1: So do you lay that that out to the employees in their job, or sorry, in their interview process, you're telling them that in advance, or was that the customer part that you're bringing in? I missed that.
0: Yeah, I'm sorry. That was the client experience Uh, part. That's the uh, client experience part. And so if we're doing that for clients, I can only expect our employees to do that for clients if we do the same for them. And so what I mean by that is that, When we're going through an interview process with with somebody that uh, we're looking to hire, I want to do everything in my power to set their expectations as far as next steps and what they can uh, expect in the future. Even through the interview process, but then from day one, um, from the point in which they decide to accept our offer to join our firm. Uh, there's a few people in our office we came up with this idea that's, hey, why don't we build them a custom web page, the employee that is. Build them a custom web page that says, "Hey, we can't wait to have you start. <clears throat> we're so thrilled that you accepted our offer. We even on the web page, put on a countdown clock, I'll record a video for them, embed that into the web page, and basically send that to them as a, "Hey, we're really looking forward to having you start with."
1: And this is their, this is their custom web page now that has a lot of the details of their onboarding, correct?
0: That's correct. So with, within that page, <clears throat> we've already articulated the, the 30, 60, 90-day plan. So they know what they can expect three months into their job already. Um, they also know everything from you know, uh, the, the, the benefits that they can look forward to, to uh, any questions that they might have, things that we typically hear um, to, you know, our recommendations on videos, books, podcasts, articles, um, obviously our vision statement, values, behaviors. Um, we try to basically set the stage so that whenever they walk in, what they experience on that website, it matches exactly what they find internally. And so I think that's true within marketing too, is that you, you really want to bring your personality out, uh, online. And so we do that. With these custom web pages for these new employees that are coming on board, and somebody in our office, she said, "Why don't we do this?" And I said, "Okay, let's go for it. Let's see what we can do." And she came up with this phenomenal way in which we can do it, which is scalable, uh, because when you start working with WordPress, you can just duplicate and have a template. Yep. Simple. And it's, it's simple. And so we even on the uh, on those web pages, um, we ask the you know potential or I'm sorry the the person who's going to be joining us, hey, uh, we'd love to know some questions about you and really get to know you a little bit better. So we just ask, we have a short survey so that we can really customize their experience as they're onboarded as well. That same philosophy is what we do for our clients. So I think, again, employee experience is directly correlated with that. It's client experience and vice versa. And I think that that's the way in which we really operate around here.
1: So when you guys are clearly doing something right in attracting talent, I wanna go back even to a quick question that I had when, um, when Barry was trying to attract you in that first role eight years ago. What was it that made you say yes to a job offer the same day um, you know, that you went into the interview?
0: That's a really good question. I think for me it comes down to the personalities that were in the firm and the people, um, but also the authenticity. <clears throat> and when I walked in, Um, to Glassman Wealth, it just had this different feel to it. It had this feel where, okay, I've been in the financial planning industry for about three years, and to me, it always seemed like I kind of walk in, and you just kind of do your job, and then you go home. When I came to Glassman, there was an energy in the office that sort of permeated, and Barry was, I mean, he is a very uh, infectious person with that type of energy, and so I felt that and I, and something in my gut just told me that this was the right thing. And I'm, I'm that type of person. I, I'm, I go with my gut on a lot. And that was one of those things.
1: Interesting. Yeah, I love that, that you went with your gut on that. Can we actually link to one of the custom pages that you guys send out to your, of course, absolutely. Absolutely. Find one that we can link to. Tell me a little bit about when we were talking just before we started the, um, started a recording we were talking about that the ceo had been gone barry had been gone for around 10 days and and there were some experiences that you guys were going through when he was gone and how it was feeling when he was gone can you walk us through that and then also um you know how you lead a company when the ceo is either absent or how do you lead it when allowing him to stay in his unique ability on vision
0: yeah that's a that's again a great question i think that's been a work in progress but also um something that um has been set forth via the vision, uh, from Barry f- for about four or five years at this point, um, if not longer, the vision was to, we need to create an organization that is quote, bigger than Barry. And in order to do that, we need to leverage his unique abilities as well, which is he, he just communicates so well with, with people and he can share messages in such a phenomenal way. Well, if that's the case, what can other people do on the team? Um, That he's not going to be then doing. Well, that was where the CEO role came in. And so while he's out of the office, I think everyone on the team understands that we have to move this forward. We have to continue to uh, create impact, add value to our clients' lives. And in doing that, we have to step up and really lead these different efforts because Barry's not going to do it. And that's what he's relying on us to do. And so having him physically gone is... It provides a lot of opportunity for different people to step up and fulfill their role. Um, for example, I think, you know, while he was gone at one point in time, we had a team meeting. Uh, consider that. We had a team meeting without our CEO there. Um, we only have 13 employees, but at the same time, we're having a, a team meeting without him present, which sends a lot of different messages. But at the same time, people that came to that meeting still knew that it was a serious thing. We were there to accomplish something. And that's that was productive time that we need to make sure that we capitalized on. So it's sort of having him removed definitely adds opportunity and allows for people to actually fulfill what it is they're hired to do and and what they're here to do. How
1: do you, how do you and Barry divide, um, kind of divide and conquer? What are, what are your roles and what are his roles? And then also what are both of your Colby profiles? We talked a little bit about that. Um, just curious if you know what his Colby profile is and yours and how that differentiates between your skill sets as well.
0: Yeah, that's a, that's actually a pretty interesting one. Um, Barry and I, we went through the Colby process about a year and a half ago with the entire team. Uh, we have a spreadsheet uh, with everyone's um, scores on there, the, the entire team. We then um, combine that with the strengths finder as well. So we know the top strength of each person plus their Colby score. For Barry and I, uh, it's ironic in that uh, his Col- uh, Colby score was 3394 and my Colby was also 3394. So. Knowing that, uh, it has added um, a, a sense, uh, heightened sense of awareness, I believe, for my part. Yeah. And that I know that Barry's profile is profiles very much like mine and vice versa. But that means that I need to do and communicate with him in a way that he is going to understand when we're problem solving or how we're going to you know, work together. I think the Colby for, for, for us has really just shed light on what it is we need to be aware of, Um, not particularly maybe change anything, but just be aware of it and, you know, learn how to communicate with each other in different ways. I think of a CO role in very much of an integrator fashion. Um, Mm -hmm. But when I learned about the, when I learned of the Colby and kind of what my profile came back as, I thought, holy cow, this makes so much sense now. Because there were point in times where Barry and I were, you know, coming at something the same exact way versus having a compliment as far as what we are looking to actually do. Um, So for me to have that heightened sense of awareness has been super important. Um, But we talk about it almost on a weekly basis, as a matter of fact.
1: That's great. It's good just to be aware of of the way you start projects, which Colby talks about how we start things. And and, um, are your strength finders similar or were those different?
0: Um, our Strengths Finder are actually pretty similar as well. I mean, he, um, I think, has positivity, woo, and futuristic in his top five, just as I do. Uh, so it's again, <laughs> it's kind of eerie, but at the same time, it's cool because you know we do think of things in a similar way. But I'm working very hard to make sure that I'm uh, providing him the compliment as much as I possibly can in a way in which we, uh, you know, apro- approach problem solving.
1: Yeah, so in most cases, the CEO and COO have very different personality profiles. In your case, you guys are, are virtually identical. Um, does it force you to approach projects or approach the business in a different way? I know one thing you said is you're just very, very aware of each other, uh, aware of each other's skills, aware of the way each other works. Does it force you to think a little bit outside of the box in a different way, or to think in a different way, knowing that you might be missing, you know, some of the um, the the focus on systems or the focus on asking questions when you're both really high quick starts.
0: Yeah, it absolutely does. And I will tell you the way in which I've tried to um, combat that, like I said, one awareness, but two, capping the people that are around me to help with that. And we have a phenomenal team here. I mean, everyone, I I love every single person on our team. We have great uh, advisors and just everyone here is, uh, has their own unique abilities, we have vice presidents on our team who I can you know consult with, uh, bounce ideas off of um, take what 's happening, and kind of discuss it with them because as a matter of fact they 're kind of completely the opposite of me and Barry so I think what I try to do is not Solve everything and not try to think of it all by myself, but tap the people who I know have that skill set and then work together and collaborate um, because they 're so good at that they might see something differently than I did, and we just have that conversation, and you know we will work through it um, in a methodical way but I think for me it 's really trying to tap other people who have that skill set, but then also having that awareness around it
1: interesting now you guys have got in terms of the industry that you 're in you 've got a pretty insanely high um, you know, assets under management per employee number. What is it that you're doing, you know, without giving your trade secrets away, what is it that you're doing that has allowed you to be, I guess, so efficient and so profitable?
0: Well, I think number one, it's, it's hiring the right type of person. Uh, people who um, stay away from complacency, um, who embrace technology, who believe in innovation, uh, who believe in uh, culture and core values and behaviors, um, and those that really, really understand that we're in the people business. Um, at the same time, we do a really good job of identifying our ideal, t- our ideal clients and working with them in a phenomenal way. Um, we do stick to a $2 million minimum so that uh, we can maintain that, uh, advisor to client ratio. Um, and that's something that we really focus on, um, because if we try to be everything to everyone, we're not, we're not going to be anything to anyone. So I think that, uh, focusing on that is super important, but again, I think it starts with the type of people we hire, um, those that embrace sort of change and, um, have the ability to adapt.
1: Well, I think what you just touched on is that old adage of one A player replaces three C's, right? So you probably able to just get away with less by hiring the right people and hiring the strong people. How, how do you and Barry stay on the same page and what are, what are Barry's roles in the organization and what are your roles? What functional areas does he you know, oversee? Which ones do you oversee?
0: Yeah. So, uh, Barry and I stay on the same page, uh, very much by having a, a rhythm of meetings, if you will. So, you know, every quarter we'll meet around, you know, compliance. Um, every quarter we'll meet around, uh, marketing, um, on a monthly basis, we'll go through financials. So we do have set times that we know we're meeting. We know what we're going to be talking about. And we, we work towards that. Um, As far as the functional areas of the business, um, you know, at this point in the game, Barry is, his vision for what we need to do as a firm is, is just phenomenal. So he implemented, he, he sets vision and I set sort of the operational um, tactics and strategies to get and achieve that vision. So what we've done is, you know, we created a 2018 vision. <clears throat> we have goals and tactics that will allow us to, um, to achieve that. And we check in as a team, as actually, almost on a quarterly basis to see where we are. Um, so again, Barry vision me operational executive, if you will, um, making sure that we're hiring the right people, developing the right people and really, you know, having uh, purposeful meetings with everyone as far as how they can develop, how their career paths, uh, tr- uh, develop and what it is, uh, you know, we're looking to, to, to uh, have them do. Yeah, I love that
1: you talked about the different meeting rhythms that you have in place. I tried to cover that in, in depth in my, my second book, Meeting Suck. What, what meetings do you and Barry have to keep yourself on the same page? Like, do you have a weekly meeting, a coaching meeting? Is there you know, one on ones? Do you get off site together? What do you guys do to stay on the same page or to, to stay in sync?
0: Yeah, we'll typically have a one on one. And that would, you know, most of the time be over a lunch. Uh, probably once a month. Um, yeah, it's, it's actually once a month. Um, we have the <laughs> great ability to just go up a, uh, up the stairs a few, a few flights of stairs here. And there's a, a beautiful spot up there that we're able to kind of disconnect from everyone else and sort of, you know, regroup, see where we stand as far as mindset, just check in with each other. Um, that was something that we didn't have, you know, a habit around uh, years ago. And now we really do. Um, I do think too, when he is, you know, as we mentioned, if he's traveling and things like that, just having the ability to check in, send a quick text, see how things are going, um, making sure that there's an open line of communication, um, in real time, just in the event, you know, things, you know, need to, we need to discuss something. Um, but we do a pretty good job of staying in touch with each other and making sure that we are on the same page. Um, but it, it comes in the, in the form of a, of a one-on-one at this point. Um, that is also something that I do with almost everyone on our team is have weekly one-on-ones, and that consist of about a thirty-minute meetings, and we discuss goals, development, and mindset, and just check in again with each employee, making sure that you know we're on the right path. As a matter of fact, right before this podcast, I had a one-on-one with one of our newest hires just to see how things were going and set a few things in place, and so those constant meetings that are happening, I think, really drives deepening culture, if you will.
1: So talk a, bit, a little bit about how your one-on-one works with your employees. I'm really big on those. Tell me about how those work.
0: Yeah. So for us, it's, it's different for every employee, um, which is quite honestly a, a challenge for me in that I do have to make sure that one, I'm 100% present for each person in their own way. We do have people on the team who like to come very much prepared with a structured list of we're going to cover this, this, and this. And then we have others that, you know, sit down, have, you know, maybe some small chat here and there, but then we go and we get into some really in-depth things and I'm able to provide them some feedback and, you know, check in with them that way. So for me, it does range um, and and it's kind of cool. But at the same time, I think always making sure that um, the, the conversation is productive, meaning that there's action on the other side of it. Mm-hmm. And so that then we, we check in on that uh, the, the, the following week just to see where we stand. But I do think that I've been trying to customize how those one-on-ones are approached based on how that person likes to receive information.
1: That's awesome. So do your employees ever push back on the one-on-ones or do they like them?
0: Um, when they first start with us, I will tell you that most people will sit down and I'll say, you know, we'll we'll start just going through what a one-on-one is and what they can expect. And most of the time, um, I, the feedback that I receive is I don't, I don't really understand what these one-on-ones are going to be. And we talk through that week over week over week. And at some point in time, it's like, wow, I actually can't wait until that one-on-one. So our firm is is unique in that I do think that everybody really enjoys them. I think um, everyone does keep on schedule and they're already, they're already on the calendar. So I rarely have anybody miss it. And those meetings, honestly, at some point in time go long. And so I think I need to probably get better at keeping us on track. But at the same time, I like to allow people to... Uh, Share what it is that's important to them so that I can really understand what they're saying so that I can help them Um, And that having that active listening component super important.
1: Yeah, good for you Um, Tell us you know in terms of of what you're pulling out of the CEO Alliance What are some of the I guess great skills or insights that you've been able to pull out of the Alliance in the last year and what are you working on personally in terms of your skill development going forward?
0: Yeah. So, you know, the CEO Alliance for me, there's so many different dynamic pieces to it. So um, outside of being there, you know, coming back to the firm, uh, you know, I I guess it was about a year ago and sharing with the team um, the book, your your book Meeting Suck and saying, hey, look, this is really something we need to do. And everyone on the team read the book. And now that is something that has been taking place as far as you know, setting the agenda, sending out in advance, um, making sure everybody's there up for a purpose. Those types of things are happening. Um, I think that this last uh, session that I was at just um, back in June with Joel Weldon talking through how to structure messages to people and how to communicate in the most powerful way. That's something that... I hope to focus on more intentionally over the next year or two. Um, I ca- cause I believe that it does apply not only to your team, but to the world, to, you know, your, any audience you're speaking to just being really, really intentional with the words you're using. Um, that's something that we discussed. And I think having Joel at those meetings, providing feedback in a real time setting after 10 minute talks to me, for some reason has been super powerful. Um, mm-hmm. because you often don't, you don't really think about it and you can, you can get up and just kind of share your message and feel good about it. But Joel, I feel like he, he really spoke to me in that you really need to be intentional with your words. Very much like coming back from the CEO Alliance and saying, hey, guys, I feel like we could change this and this and this. What if I came back and I said, hey, guys, we can perhaps improve here, here, and here. What do you think? And it's just those l- small little nuances that I think he did a great job of outlining, something that kind of came to my mind. I thought, wow, I need to really work on that over the next few years, I believe.
1: That's awesome. What do you think has been, um, let's kind of wrap with this one, but what do you think has been the, the biggest learning that you've had over your four years that uh, you'd like to pass on to any, you know, any second in commands or any really good leaders out there?
0: I think that it's, it comes down to two different areas. I think number one, having an incredible sense of self-awareness. Uh, and number two, really understanding that uh, what you see is often it's, it's so much more than that. And I think um, really being able to always question, you know what, there's got to be more, there's got to be something else there that we can do. Mm. Um, but I think that whether that's working with people, if they're, you know, going through challenges, approaching it from an empathy standpoint, saying, look, there's got to be something going on in that person's mind that we got to learn more about so that we can help them. Or on the other side, you know, the person's absolutely killing it. What can we do more of so that they can excel even further? So I think it's just always having that sense of awareness around Those types of issues.
1: That's really cool, and it's good that you've got that. You guys are doing an amazing job with your culture. I mean, it's certainly apparent with the awards, but I think even more so when we pull you into the National COO Alliance program and you're sitting around these peers of other second in commands, and they're all, you know, scribbling notes as you're talking about what you guys have done with some of your onboarding and interviewing. You're certainly doing a great job. So, Gabe, thank Thank you so much. Yeah, thanks very much for sharing all the insights today. Really appreciate it. Say hi to Barry for me, and um, enjoy the rest of your summer. Will do, Cameron.
0: Thank you so much for having me. Really enjoyed it. All right. Take care, buddy. All right. Bye-bye. You've been listening to Second in Command, brought to you by COO Alliance founder Cameron Harold. If you enjoyed this episode, please be sure to subscribe. For more best practices from industry-leading COOs, visit COOalliance.com.